The scripture gives us many titles of God, and one of them is the God of encouragement. Romans chapter 15, verse 5, describes God as the God of endurance and encouragement. And we look at a wonderful example of God's encouragement in the life of a very discouraged prophet by the name of Elijah. Last week we looked at 1 Kings 18, this morning we turn to 1 Kings 19. I want to read the first four verses to kind of set the, the scene here. 1 Kings 19, beginning at verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. He said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Let's pray. Father, there are times in our lives when discouragement comes, and discouragement can be a very um, terrible thing. And I pray, Lord, that you would use your word today to encourage us, uh, to remind us of who you are. Help us, Lord, to focus on you today to lay aside all the, the things that would cause us to be worried or frustrated or discouraged and allow you, Lord, to just minister your help in time of need. Father, take now these words that you have given to us by the inspiration of your Spirit and apply them, O God, to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you compare 1 Kings 18 with 1 Kings 19 side by side, it is quite, quite a contrast. In 1 Kings 18, you see a man on the mountain followed by a man in the pits. You see a bold man followed by a fearful man. You see a man standing firm followed by a man who's running for his life. The contrast between these two chapters could not be uh, sharper. And the crazy thing about it is that these two chapters aren't describing two different men. <laughs> they're describing the same man. They're, they're describing the life of one of God's prophets by the name of Elijah. At one point, he's calling down a fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, and then the next moment he's hiding in a cave. He's running for his life. He comes to the point, he said, Lord, life just isn't worth living anymore. Just kill me. Just take my life. So discouraged he was on the mountain one day and hiding in a cave the next. Elijah wanted to die because he was afraid. Jezebel uh, told him, he said, your life is going to be just like one of those prophets that died about by this time tomorrow. So you've got 24 hours, Elijah. Enjoy the last 24 hours of your life because your life is going to come to an end. So he was afraid. 
And he ran for his life. And it'd be hard to point a finger at Elijah, wouldn't it? I mean, if someone with power like uh, Queen Jezebel said to you, uh, you've got 24 hours. Would you tell her where, you could, where they could find you? I mean, you can understand why he was afraid. And not only was he afraid, but, but he was alone. It says that he left his servant and then he went off into this uh, cave all by himself. Uh, bad enough to be afraid when you're with others, but then you head off by yourself. That makes it worse. And if all that wasn't enough, Elijah was physically and emotionally exhausted. If there was ever a man who was a prime candidate for discouragement, it was Elijah. And he was very Discouraged. So how did God minister to him? How does God encourage us in those times when, I don't know if you've ever felt you wanted to die, but those times where the life just, just seemed so, so hard. Notice, first of all, the God of encouragement refreshes us. I find it interesting that the first thing that God did with Elijah was to deal with some physical things in his life. Physical needs of the body. He helped his weary prophet by giving him some rest and giving him some food. Elijah had to have been very tired when he arrived at Beersheba because the distance from Mount Carmel to Beersheba is about a hundred miles. Okay, now he didn't have a car, right? That would have been pretty simple. Hundred miles in a car, that's not bad. He didn't have a bike, right? Some of you can probably bike a hundred miles and maybe not be that tired. And if he had to ride on a donkey for a hundred miles, I'd feel sorry for him. Because I remember, I never ridden on a donkey, but the last time I rode on a horse, um, out in Rapid City. And guess who got the biggest, widest, fattest horse? I did. His name was Tim. And he was so wide that when I got off that horse, I said, I will never ride another horse again. I felt like I'd be walking like this for the rest of my life. It was painful. So think of Elijah then traveling this distance, whether he walked it or rode on a donkey. hundred miles, he must have been exhausted. He needed some rest. And so notice how he rested. Verse 5 says, He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. So Elijah didn't just take one nap. Elijah took two naps. And Warren Wiersbe says, when the heart is heavy and the mind and body are weary, sometimes the best remedy is sleep. Just take a nap. Jesus knew how important that is, right? Disciples were so busy in Mark chapter 6 verse 30. It says they gathered together with Jesus. They reported all that they had done and taught. And what did he say? Go out there and do it again. Well, he said, uh, come away by yourselves to a secluded place 
and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Vance Habner used to say that if we don't come apart and rest a while, we will just come apart. And Elijah was about to come apart. When you are exhausted, nothing seems right. huh? Little children, when they're tired or hungry, there's nothing that's going to make them happy unless you give them some rest and some food. And we're like that too. We need to rest. Perhaps you've never looked at it this way, but for some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is to get some rest. Take a nap and don't feel guilty about it. Like there's so many things that you need to do. Just wait until the sermon is done, right? Don't take a nap right now, but rest, right? Rest. There was a very wise Finnish doctor who told a very tired Finnish carpenter, you are burning the candle at both ends and they're about to meet in the middle. That was Elijah. Burning the candle at both ends and, and he was just all exhausted. So he got some rest. Took a couple of naps. And besides getting rest for the body, God ministered to Elijah by giving him some food. So while he's, he's napping, the first nap, there was an angel uh, touching him and said, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He didn't even have to make it. The angel made it for him. During his second nap, verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. You need some nourishment. So he, got, so he arose and ate and drank. And it says, And he went in the strength of that food... Forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but here we have the very first angel food cake, right? That's a biblical food, angel food cake. And it must have been one of those superfoods. Do you hear about that nowadays? There are certain things that are like a superfood. This must have been a superfood because after he ate that angel food cake, he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. You know how far it is from Beersheba to Mount Horeb? 250 miles. It's no wonder it took 40 days and 40 nights to travel that far. Now some suggest that the angel who baked this bread for Elijah was actually the Lord himself. The angel of the Lord, it says, and that is a term that is sometimes used in the Old Testament to describe the Lord. We see in Genesis 16, verse 10, Exodus chapter 3, Judges chapter 2, where the angel of the Lord speaks and acts as God would speak and act. In fact, the angel of the Lord in Exodus 3 verse 2 is called God and the Lord in the rest of the chapter. So some believe that this visitor, this angel of the Lord was Jesus. And if that is so, it is a reminder to us that Jesus is the one who provides 
for all our needs, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Jesus did that when he fed the multitudes, right? More than once. Fish and bread. They were in a desert place. It was weary. The disciples were saying, Lord, send them away. He said, no, you feed them. And so Jesus, little boy, had fish and bread. And Jesus multiplied the fish and bread. And and there was more left over after they were done eating than when they started, right? And they were all full. Jesus provided for them. And then he used that as an illustration in John chapter 6. He said, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And that's the kind of bread we really need, isn't it? Yeah, we need bread for our body. We need rest for our body. But we need the bread of life to satisfy our soul. And Jesus is the only one that can satisfy your soul. You can search the world over and try to find all kinds of things that are going to make you happy. But like the songwriter says, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. So he feeds us. He refreshes us. He strengthens us. He encourages us. So if you're looking for something that will satisfy today, you need to come to Jesus. He refreshes us when we're discouraged. Second thing we notice is that the God of encouragement not only refreshes us, He refocuses us. He refocuses us. When you look at the life of Elijah in the previous chapter, you'd have to say, here was a man that was focused on the Lord, right? Here was a man who confronted King Ahab with his sin. Here's a man who stood up to 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Here was a man that challenged the people of Israel, who are you going to serve? Why do you halt, hesitate between two opinions? If, if the Lord is God, follow Him. If, if Baal is God, follow Him. He had his eyes on the true and living God who has the power to do anything that, in that chapter. But when we come to our text, it seems as if everything has changed. After confronting King Ahab, he's now running from his wife, Queen Jezebel. After confronting those 450 prophets, he is afraid of what one person has to say. And he's so discouraged, he wants to die. It's like, is this really the same man? How can it be that... In one chapter, he's on the mountain, and now he's in the pits, and he wants to die. What, is, what in the world happened to Elijah? Maybe the best way to answer that question is to say that he lost his focus. He, he took his eyes off the Lord, and like Peter, remember when Peter was walking on the water, he took his eyes off of Jesus, he started looking at the storm around him. What happened? He's sinking. Elijah is sinking. He needed to be refocused. When you take your eyes off the Lord, where do you turn then? Where is your hope? Where is your strength? When you take your eyes off the Lord, you end up focusing on something else. And for Elijah, it was himself. Elijah ends up having what one author describes as a pity party. You ever had a pity party? <laughs> I think we all have, right? Those times when 
We lose sight of the Lord and His blessings and we start looking at ourselves and our situation and we have a pity party. Verse 9 describes that. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Good question, right? What are you doing here? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord. The God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And guess what? They want to kill me too. I am the only one left who's been faithful to you, God. I don't know what Elijah looked like when he said that, but he probably had a whine whine in his voice. And maybe his bottom lip stuck up. Yeah. He's saying, it's so bad, God. It is so bad. I'm the only one left, and they now they want to kill me. You know what? Elijah's not the only one that wanted to die. I think of Moses back in Numbers chapter 11. The people were weeping and, and standing at the doorway of their tents, and, and the anger of the Lord comes down, and so Moses comes to God, and he said, Why have you been so hard on your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all these people on me? And then Moses said, did I conceive them? Was I the one who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? And then he says, where am I going to get meat? Where am I going to get meat to give all these people? For they are weeping before me saying, give us meat that we may eat. He said, I can't carry all these people. It's too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I've found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Sounds like Elijah, doesn't it? So it wasn't just Elijah who went through this. It wasn't just Moses who went through this. There have been all kinds of People throughout history who have come to that place where life just isn't worth living anymore. Just, Lord, just take me, kill me. Now, Elijah said, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. If you go back to the previous chapter, there was another prophet by the name of Obadiah. He was a faithful prophet. And this is what he told Elijah in 1 Kings 18.13, he says, Has it not been told to my master what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, that I hid a hundred prophets of the Lord by fifties in a cave, and I provided bread and water for them? So that was told Elijah just right before this event. And Elijah says, you know what, God, I'm, I'm, I'm the only one. There is no one left. I'm the only one. And they want to kill me too. Now, the Lord could have scolded Elijah, right? He could have reminded him of what Obadiah had said in the previous chapter, but he didn't. God was gracious. God was patient. And God gave to Elijah a tremendous Display of his power. Look at verse 11. 
So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Or a still small voice, as some translations put it. Reminds us of Moses. He experienced something similar, didn't he? When he was on that same mountain many years ago, he saw an awesome display of God's power as fire came down from heaven. The earth quaked violently. But what's interesting to notice here is that the Lord was not in the wind, it says. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. It's as if God is saying to Elijah, you want me to always work in these uh, spectacular, miraculous displays of power? But what's he telling Elijah? He's saying, Elijah, there are times when I work in very gentle and quiet ways. It's not always this explosion of... uh, Uh, a Mount Carmel experience. God works in some very quiet and gentle ways through His Word. Let me give you some examples. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 1 says, Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. That's God speaking. Verse 2, Let my teaching drop as the rain, My speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, as the showers on the herb. So what is God's word like? Like the gentle rain, like the dew, very quiet, but yet producing life, right? Producing fruit. Or Isaiah 55, very familiar passage, for as the rain and the snow Come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, furnishing seed to the sower, bread to the eater. So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. What is God saying to Elijah? He's saying, Elijah, you need to trust that I am working in gentle ways that you might not even see, that you might not even know about. And I find that as an encouragement in sharing the Word of God because I don't always see what's going on in people's lives. Sometimes there's stuff happening in their hearts through the Word of God that, that we might not know about that's still small voice of God, as His Word is proclaimed. And so it's not always this um, fire and, and, and wind and, and earthquake, uh, noise and so forth, but that still small voice of God. Now, did that make a difference in Elijah's life? Did he immediately refocus? I wish we could say Yes. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. 
And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Same question. Same answer. And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah responds to God's repeating the same, by repeating the same words he had said earlier. He has nothing further to say. I've said it before. I'm just going to say it again. I'm the only one. Everybody else has abandoned you, O God. I'm the only one left. And they're seeking to kill me. It's as if this display of God's power had no impact on him. His focus is still where? On himself. Looking at himself. Sometimes we get so discouraged with our circumstances that we can't seem to get our eyes off of ourselves. When the key is getting our eyes on Jesus, right? On Jesus. But God is patient. As he was with Elijah. He doesn't kick us when we're down. He says, go and stand on the mountain and you will see me passing by. Take your stand, okay? Fix your eyes on Jesus. As we read from Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, we are to lay aside every encumbrance, the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Isn't that really the key, isn't it? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Refocusing. Do you need to refocus today? Not looking at all the things around us, or all the struggles within us, but looking away, looking to Jesus, right? We need to be refocused on Him. The third thing we see then, the God of encouragement not only refreshes us and refocuses us, but he renews us. Although Elijah had nothing new to say, the Lord had something new to say to Elijah. Elijah wanted to resign. He wanted to die. But God says, I'm not going to let you die. I'm not going to let you resign. I still have something for you to do. I have a ministry for you until the day... That I take you in that chariot home, as he did with Elijah. I've got something for you to do. And so God's word to Elijah was simple. It's time to leave the cave and return to duty. That's my word to you, Elijah. Get out of the cave and go, return. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, return. <laughs> Get back, return on your way. To the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel, king over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. And then verse 18, almost in passing, the Lord says, um, I need to tell you one other thing. There are 7,000 in Israel, 
all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Just so you know, Elijah, okay, it's going to tell you, you are not the only one, okay? Sometimes we need to hear that. Because we look at what's going on around the world, just like, is there anybody that stands on God's word anymore? Is there anybody who loves Jesus? Uh, is, is everyone turning away? And the God says, I've got my remnant. I've got, I've got my people. And sometimes God gives us the privilege of meeting some of those people in various walks of life. And it's just like, yes, we're in this together, right? There's others. So Elijah, you are not the only one. It's interesting. His first responsibility was to anoint Haziel, the king of Syria. Syria. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? That's a Gentile nation. That wasn't Israel or Judah. That was a Gentile nation. Is that to say to Elijah, you've got an impact not just on the people of Israel, but the Gentiles too. And that shouldn't surprise us because Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar, he said, the Most High is ruler over the realm of all mankind and he bestows it on whomever he wishes. So Elijah was involved in that truth that God was bestowing upon Haziel, the king of Aram, that position. And he said, Elijah, you you, you go do that. You go anoint Haziel. And then he said, I want you to anoint Jehu, king of Israel, and Elisha as prophet in his place. And notice the result of that, verse 17 It shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put him to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. You see, Elijah had been greatly concerned about Baal worship. And by the time that Jehu and Elisha completed their work, the worship of Baal was almost completely wiped out in Israel. Read in 2 Kings chapter 10, it describes what happened there. So what Elijah started would be finished by others. And he was to have a part in anointing them, preparing them for their work. Now, what does that illustrate? I love what Warren Worsby says. He says, no one generation can do everything. But each generation must see to it that people in the next generation are called and trained and that the tools are made available for them to continue the work of the Lord. And here's a great summary statement about Elijah. God was calling Elijah to stop weeping over the past and running away from the present. It was time for him to start preparing others for the future. Isn't that good? Stop weeping over the past and running away from the present. It's time for him to start preparing others for the future. Some of us older folks, and you can decide if you're one of those, I'm not going to call anybody old people here, 
But some of us older folks need to recognize that truth. We might not be saying, I want to die. But we may be thinking it's time that we're just kind of put on the shelf, you know. I've done my service to the Lord, and now we'll just let the young people take over. Yeah, we want a young people involved, but we do, us older people, we do have a ministry to the next generation, right? I think of Psalm 71, this older man who is, is, is talking about God's work in his life from the time he was born and then his days of youth and now he's old and gray. Old and gray. And here's what he says in Psalm 71, 17. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. You see that commitment of this older man to those who followed him? I mean, he could have said, Lord, I, you know, you've been with me and uh, I know you and I know where I'm going and forget the next generation. He said, God, keep me going until I can fulfill that mission to the next generation. That's what God was telling Elijah. Elijah, it's not time yet. I, I still got something for you to do. You need to prepare Elisha for his ministry. You need to pass on to the next generation. So if you are among the older ones, then you need a reason to get up in the morning. It shouldn't be just for toast and coffee. Even though I love toast and coffee, I have the same breakfast every morning, toast and coffee. I'm in a groove. It's a real wonderful groove. Why do we get up? It's for the next generation, so that they might carry on the work when we are done. That's what Elijah needed to understand. He was so discouraged he wanted to die. And God said, no, no, you're not going to die. So God refreshed him. God refocused him. God renewed him so that he might continue to serve until Jesus comes again. May God do that in our lives today. Refresh us. Refocus us. Renew us to the ministry that we have until the day that the chariots come. Take us home to glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you are the God of encouragement. And Lord, I pray if there is someone here today, someone listening to this message online that is very discouraged, Lord, would you remind them of who you are. Enable them, O oh God, to focus on Jesus, to trust in him, to live for him, to be refreshed and refocused and renewed in the calling, Lord, that you give to those who love you. Lord, thank you for who you are, for all that you have done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.